0: Now, there are other people who are very, very critical of Christians. But if you ask them, well, what are you critical of? And what is it precisely that gets you upset with people calling themselves Christians? They would base it upon a very thin ice. If you look at verse 15, you'll notice that Peter talks about putting to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And really, very often, the skewed notions and the accusations that are made against born-again Christians is just pure foolishness. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak Today. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher, and once again, we bring you the message from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale, British Columbia. Today's message is on 1 Peter chapter 2 the behavior of a Christian. How important that the man or woman of God, who claims to be born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, live a holy life. Indeed in First Peter we are exhorted to be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the standard, that's the goal that every Christian aims for. Now we don't always make it, we confess our failures and our weaknesses. Yet, however, we strive to be godly, and I trust that today that your prayer is that the Lord will make you more and more holy, as Robert Murray McSheehan often prayed, that he may be as holy as a saved sinner may be this side of heaven. We come to our opening uh, question-answer today on why become a Christian, and the answer is because all have sinned. This ought to be self-evident to any who observe human nature. Man is as crooked and twisted as a thorny stick, and he can't walk uprightly even if he tries. Those who boast that they are upright and keep all the law of God perfectly are aptly described in the Bible as those who measure themselves by themselves. There is a flaw in their own measure stick. But let a man measure himself by the true rule, the standards of the Lord, who is perfectly holy. How does he measure up then? Let him look into the mirror of God's law and see what he will see. He soon discovers that he is unclean from head to toe. The Apostle Paul sweeps the decks on this matter in the opening chapters of the book of Romans. He points out that man is in a state of spiritual blindness. He cannot even see. What the rule is, they are without understanding, which is the chief reason for their idolatry and works of unnatural behavior of sodomy. Such is the terrible plight of mankind due to his fallen, lost condition, that he has no way to comprehend his own sinful condition. By the time Paul gets to the third chapter of Romans, he has shown that all men are in this sad, sinful condition even Jews, even the most religious. Just let's read chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, don't turn this into empty words. Through the apostle, God gives us a truth that we must learn. Every single man in the world is polluted by sin. He is corrupted in heart, in life, and walk. He is in a state of spiritual bondage. Here again Paul's words in verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Men have totally missed the mark. They stand before God guilty, and that includes you and me in our natural state. That is how we were born, as the guilty sons of Adam, and that is how we have lived out our lives. Sin pours out from us as if it is full to the brim. This creates the need for a mighty deliverer who can set us free from both the guilt of sin and the dominion of sin. This deliverer is the Lord Jesus. On the cross, Christ bore our sins and justified us. By the power of His new life, He reigns in us to transform us. Sinners need a Savior, and we need the only Savior appointed by God, recognized by God to set us free. This way of deliverance is the parallel message of Romans. Justification by faith whereby bankrupt sinners are clothed with the perfect, imputed righteousness of Christ is the remedy of the gospel. Hear this from Romans 3.28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Christians are saved without their own works and are saved by the perfect work of Christ on their behalf. For he gives us his righteousness because all have sinned, all need to be saved, and all need the Lord Jesus as their Savior. So in simple terms, you need to become a Christian because all have sinned against God and all need to be saved from their sin. Thank you for listening to let the Bible speak and I trust that today the Lord will draw near and bless. We're turning now to 1 Peter chapter 2 on the behavior of a Christian from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. Right, we're going back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12. Let me read these two verses, and let us just uh, look into them tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. I wonder if you were to take a clipboard and go around 50 different homes and ask people right in your neighborhood, what is a Christian? What kind of responses do you think you would get? What is a Christian? You would find that the majority of people's notion of a Christian is very skewed. I look back to my teenage years when I was unconverted, and when I was either faced with someone who professed to be a Christian, or perhaps I read something about this, um, I had some very hairy ideas in my mind of what a Christian was. I probably would have answered, well, it's somebody who sings in the choir, and they are really, really holy. Now, that would have been about the, the depth of the grasp that I would have had. Now, there are other people who are very, very critical of Christians. But if you ask them, well, what are you critical of? And what is it precisely that gets you upset with people calling themselves Christians, they would base it upon a very thin ice. If you look at verse 15, you'll notice that Peter talks about putting to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And really, very often, the skewed notions and the accusations that are made against born-again Christians is just pure foolishness. Now, in Canada, we expect Christianity to have a standing in this society because in the past this was, by and large, a Christian nation. The vast majority of people went to church, at least a church of some kind, and they recognized the Bible having some moral authority. That is less and less true in this nation, and today more and more people look upon Christians as somebody to be marginalized to be set aside, and to be ignored. Now, Peter, you'll notice, when he wrote these verses, or these words, he never considered anything else than that Christians would be misunderstood. Totally, absolutely misunderstood. Because the ungodly don't read their Bibles. They may not even have a Bible. They read Christians. Paul talked about Christians being living, walking New Testaments, known and read of our, uh, of our lives. Now, some have done a whole lot of harm in false pretense of what a Christian life is. In the early centuries of the Christian church, there were people who thought that to be a Christian, you needed to be a hermit. You had to get away out of society and go into the desert. And in the early centuries, there were desert monks who went and lived for years. They grew big, long beards. They cut themselves off from society, all the comforts and communication of society around them. And they lived in desert monks. Others, right down through the centuries, probably to today, lived in monasteries or nunneries. And the idea that the monastic life is the way to be holy. It's the way to be free from temptation, the way to be free from all the distractions of life. You may have read in the newspaper this week about the nuns uh, that reported a theft. And they called in the police to discover where this money was. And this money was taken out of their closet and they were missing $2 million. And Of course, the question goes up, what are nuns doing with $2 million? They're supposed to be taking a vow of poverty. And this is the skewed, perverted notion that some people arrive at because of these histories. Now, Paul the Apostle said that Christians are, have nothing to do with fornicators, but yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. And so there, even though we know that the world is wicked and people are doing wicked things, a Christian is called to live for Christ in the midst of this wicked and perverse nation. The Lord Jesus really taught this in the Sermon on the Mount, that ye are to let your light shine before men. You don't put your light under a bushel. You don't hide it. You let your light shine before men so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, if you look at the words of Peter, especially here in verse 12, you'll notice that Peter's just lifting that teaching of the Lord Jesus, and he's applying it to these new Christians that he's writing to in this letter. How to live as a Christian before the worldly unsaved crowd. That's the subject of these two verses. Do you know the answer to that? How are you doing at it tonight? Do you find it hard, discouraging? Do you get depressed? Do you get to the point where you just want to give up? Because you either feel or you find that you're just making no impression. All of these thoughts come to our mind when we come to this subject. How do we live as a Christian with the unsaved, ungodly all around us? Well, let's draw a few pointers from these verses. Firstly, live as the beloved of the Lord and the beloved in the Lord's church. You'll notice how Peter, very pastorally, as a shepherd, a pastor, he says in verse 11, Dearly beloved. Now, that's true in two senses to you and I tonight. We are the beloved of God, and we are the beloved in the Lord's church. Uh, Paul Peter started this whole letter with your election according to the foreknowledge of God. And you're a Christian tonight because God set his infinite sovereign love upon you. You are the loved of God. You are one of God's favorites, chosen, selected, called to new life in Christ Jesus. And no matter what the world around you is doing, you must never lose sight that you are, before God, dearly beloved. But I want to emphasize the pastoral part of this as Peter spoke these words very gently to these tried saints. You're talking about Christians that were very raw. They were first-generation Christians feeling the, the awful attack of the world and the bitter spirit of the world against them. And Peter deals with them very gently, and he says, dearly beloved, Now, that is true of every Christian in the Lord's church. There is a love that flows to you from the people of God, your fellow Christians, and it is the joy and the delight of every Christian to find that love of brothers and sisters within the Lord's church. And what a strength it becomes. And when you are blossoming as a Christian, when you've got the joy and the peace of the Lord in your life, you become an encourager to each and every one of God's people. Now, note that they were pilgrims and strangers in the world, cast off by the world. They were the diaspora, scattered here and there, uprooted, unwanted, They were looked upon as vagabonds, but in the monks, God's people, dearly beloved. Now, this has a pastoral application to your life, because sometimes you get discouraged. You get down. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Now, I know you wouldn't admit that, but there are those times when you feel you're all alone. When you feel this is the battle that you're fighting all by yourself. And it's a lonely, lonely walk. Well, come out of that attitude, please. Dearly beloved. Dearly beloved. And I want you to know tonight that in this congregation, you are dearly beloved. I know we all have our differences and we're different attitudes and ideas. And we're not all made of exact same chemistry. And there may be people in this congregation and you say, Boy, I wouldn't like to be married to him. Or I wouldn't like to be married to her. But every one of us as Christians because we are in the family of God, our dearly beloved. And when you're hurting, we hurt. When you're down, we're affected. When you come through that door of the church with a chip on your shoulder and you feel downcast and bitter, that affects the whole congregation. Whereas when you come through with a song in your soul and with joy and with gladness, what a blessing, what a benefit. Dearly beloved. And you'll see how Peter turns this as an appeal to these Christians. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you. This is the power of love. This is what we learned in the bulletin today about putting on the bonds of charity, the bonds of perfectness. It's the glue of Christianity, the love of Christ shed abroad in our hearts. And when you know that you're loved, when you know that your, your soul is cared for, when you're pleaded with, you respond. When you get the notion nobody cares for you, it wouldn't matter what shepherding help is given. You would say, well, nobody cares anyway. Peter, as a pastor, as a shepherd, ministered to these people, beseeching them. He used the powers of persuasion of his love and interest to their hearts that they might take to heart what he had to say. So how do you live in the midst of a critical, bitter, wicked world? Remember you're beloved of God, you're elect, and remember your place in the Lord's church. This is the Lord's provision to encourage, strengthen, build you up in the faith. Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. This is for your encouragement. That's the first thing. Secondly, we're to live as guardians of our souls. Peter said here in this text, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. Live as guardians of our souls. The soul here, of course, stands for the whole spiritual life of the Christian. Everything that you are in the grace of the Lord Jesus, in your walk with God, your prayer life, your confidence and rest and assurance and your hope and your joy and your blessedness of living in the fellowship of God, that's your soul that Peter is speaking about here. And those things are to be guarded, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, these bodies of ours are like cages for our souls, and our souls live inside fleshly, carnal bodies. And our bodies are sinful. We're not yet in glory. Our bodies have appetites for sin, and we have to realize there's a battle going on in our bodies. You have the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit warring against the flesh that's how Paul put it in Galatians 5:17 and there is this spiritual warfare going on right in your bosom you've got two natures an old adamic sinful carnal lusty nature that loves sin and then you've got a new nature born of the spirit you have the Holy Spirit living in you, the Spirit of Christ living in you. And these two can never be reconciled, the Spirit and the flesh within the Christian. And you'll notice how it's called spiritual warfare. This is not easy. And in the midst of a wicked world amongst the ungodly, we have to be guardians, of our own souls, abstain from fleshly lust, now this word abstain uh, is really a, a big issue here we 're to live in such a manner that whatever hurts the soul we're to get rid of it, cut it out abstain now I want us to do a little bit of word study here tonight, and I want you to remember this word abstain so i 've got one two, three, four verses I want us to look up. Now, I haven't worn out many of your pages in your Bible tonight yet, so we're going to do it now. We're going to turn firstly to Acts 17, uh, Acts 15, verse 17. And we're going to look at this word abstain in its different context just to get the meaning of it. Uh, maybe I'm in trouble here. Verse 20. Thank you. All right. Um, Verse 20, and then is it verse 29? Yes, you're right. Okay. Verse 20, and then verse 29. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. Those are the four things that they are to abstain from. Now, what does the word abstain mean? Just cut it out. Absolutely nothing to do with those things. Then verse 29, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. So there's the word abstain. We talk about abstinence. It means totally getting rid of it. The next verse is First Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4 verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Now, the word sanctification is the very process of growing like the Lord, holy. That ye should abstain from fornication. So there's lifestyle. This is very important. Then the next one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, that's sort of like a blanket coverage. And if we determine that something is evil, it wars against the soul. It does damage to the heart, the mind, the prayer life, the ability to walk with God. What would it do? Abstain. And Peter says the same thing, that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts. Again, thank you for listening to our broadcast here today. If you'd like to hear this program again, or if you would like information about our programming schedules across Canada on various stations, and if you would like the information on how to donate and support this ministry, go to our website, ltbs.ca. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you, as again we let
1: at 9:30 a.m. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdalefpc@gmail.com. At Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdalefpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and His great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today, and be sure to listen Monday to Friday at five AM and five PM and on Sundays at nine thirty AM on this station for full our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.